Let's pray before we start. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Help us to, as we think about things that we want to do in 2024, we pray that we could look to you. And Lord, we would absorb what you're trying to tell us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do keep that passage in front of you. Can I start by wishing you a successful and productive 2024? And as we look back at 2023, which is fast moving out of our memory, we have to say that 2023 was a difficult year. The war in Ukraine has gone into its second year with no ending in sight. On the 7th of October, during the Jewish religious festival of Simchat Torah, the Hamas group attacked southern Israel, killing over a thousand people. That awful incident happened exactly three months ago today. And this week we saw a further escalation of that war with the assassination of a senior Hamas leader in Beirut. So the world does appear to be heading for turbulent times. But around this time of year, we also make New Year resolutions, things we want to accomplish in 2024. Losing weight or going to the gym more often are popular goals. Going to home group or getting involved in church things are also well-intentioned. However, if you look at these verses in Jeremiah, they clearly indicate that God does want you to have one New Year's resolution above all others. And that thought is captured in the last two verses of the passage, which says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong of their strength or the rich of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So let's unpack that a bit more. And the first thing to say is that the word for boast here does not necessarily mean outward boasting. It more points to a strong confidence in something or someone in which or whom we have put our trust. So in verse 23, God is saying that his people, the people of Judah, have put their confidence or trust in their own wisdom, their own strength their own power, or their own riches. And by doing so, the people have abandoned the Lord and have brought God's judgment and condemnation on themselves, which we saw in the verses before. Verse 16 is a distressing verse. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they or their ancestors have known. And I will pursue them with the sword until I've made an end of them. And we know that all this did happen as the people of Judah were hauled off into exile in Babylon. So what God said would happen did happen. 
But these verses not only show the reasons why we get things wrong. God also uses these verses to point to how we get things right, how we avoid disaster. And he's saying that your boast or your confidence should be in your relationship with me, the living God. The term understands and knows me speaks about a person with whom one has had a long relationship. So the understanding comes from the time spent in each other's presence. And God could have stopped there, but he doesn't. God wants people to know specific things about him. Firstly, that he is the Lord or the sovereign. There is no one greater than him. Secondly, he exercises kindness, righteousness, and justice on the earth. And finally, he delights or takes pleasure in doing these things. This is the person in whom we should put our trust or confidence. This is the person in which we should boast. These things are part of God's DNA. They are part of his character. These things are therefore non-negotiable. And you need to understand that about me. That is what he is saying. And this, it's crucial in terms of understanding what is going on. God is saying, is if you do not understand these things about me, it will lead to disaster for you. And this is because as sinful human beings, we think, tend to think wrongly about God in these areas. In the times of Jeremiah, even though God had warned the people many times about the fact that the abandonment of his covenant would lead to disaster, many people thought that because God had rescued the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt and that he brought his son, his servant, David, to the throne and that he blessed the magnificent temple that King Solomon had made, this meant that God would not punish them. It would look bad. As we would say today, it would be a PR disaster. And you must see that this approach is a complete misreading of who God is and what he is like. For these verses tell us that God delights in kindness, righteousness, and justice. He does not worry about what we sinful beings think about him. And so disaster ensues. And we see that sort of miscalculation taking place today because we live in a society that claims that if God is a God of love, then he should allow human beings like you and me to be with him forever, ever in heaven. And you can clearly see from these verses that that is not going to happen. For you cannot be a God who loves kindness, righteousness, and justice, and lets sin, rebellion, and evil go unpunished. 
that would not be logical. That line of thinking is going to lead to disaster. And again, it's because people do not understand or know the Lord. This issue of knowing God is especially important, and it is an issue throughout the entire book of Jeremiah. And we will quickly look at the key section in chapter 5, in Jeremiah 5, 1 to 6. This reads, Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you find one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. Although they say as surely as the Lord lives, they are still swearing falsely. So Jeremiah takes up God's challenge in 3 to 5. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. I thought, they are only the poor. They are foolish. Or they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I'll go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too have broken off the yoke and have thrown off the bonds. Even Jeremiah could not find someone who was righteous. So disaster is certain. But you must see that this issue of understanding and knowing God has been an issue from the very beginning. For in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, there are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 2, 15 to 17, God says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. Eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil represented knowledge and self-awareness independent of God, his love, and his goodness. Hence, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they rejected or subordinated the relationship with God below their desire for knowledge and self-awareness. So their intimate relationship with the loving God was lost. This is spiritual death. God must implement physical death of mankind. And so we see that in verses 22 to 24 of Genesis 3. And the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, 
he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and the flaming sword flash, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We die physically because we are dead spiritually. Our relationship with God has been seven. And you may say, well, why is this important? What is the difference here? And the difference is this. Knowledge of good and evil is exactly what it says on the tin. Adam and Eve knew what was right and what was wrong. But knowing what was right and knowing what was wrong does not bestow the power to do what was right. It doesn't bestow the power to do good. It's only the knowledge of good and evil in the context of our relationship with God do we gain both the knowledge of good and evil, but also the power to go do good. The power comes through the relationship with the living God. And we get a glimpse of that in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, which reads, The wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will ride, lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The elephant will play near cobras then. And a child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the sea. So all the peace and harmony that comes in the age of the Messiah will come because of the knowledge of God. That is what was originally intended. And this knowledge will give all creation, not just humans, peace, harmony, and righteousness. So the question is, how do we get from the situation we saw in Genesis and the situation we see in our passage to this wonderful passage in Isaiah? That seems impossible. But as we look at our verses of the year, there is a story of rescue and of hope. Because the word translated kindness in verse 24 can also be translated as grace. So the solution comes through God and his grace. And later on in the book of Jeremiah, we also find God promises a new covenant. And we see that in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And that reads, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the people of Judah and with the people of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people no longer. Will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord? Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, 
declares the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And we must look to verse 34 to see how this covenant will be demonstrated. And that verse says it will be demonstrated by everyone in this new covenant having a loving and personal relationship with the living God. And we know that this covenant was made when Jesus, God's son, died for our sins to restore relationship to God and put that relationship in the premier position as it should be in our lives. The source of our identity, the source of our peace, the source of our joy. And Jesus says that himself when he states in John 17, Verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all the people, that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus offers eternal life, which is a loving relationship with God and Jesus at the center of our lives. So I need to close this. And let me start by asking a very direct question. Do you have eternal life? And if not, please ask yourself, why not? As you can see from our passage, this is what we need. And this is what God has brought about through Jesus. It's offered freely to all, so please consider asking God and Jesus into your life today. It's the best thing you can do, especially at the start of 2024. If you are a believer of Jesus, I also have a couple of questions. The first is, where does knowing God fit in your life? Is it a New Year resolution? If not, why not? If it is a New Year resolution, where is it in your list of priorities? Is it at the top of your list or at the bottom only when you have time? We need to look at Paul's prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians. For in this chapter, the Apostle Paul lays out the basis for Christian identity. A Christian is an adopted son or daughter in God's family. He or she is given all the blessings in, in the heavenly realms because of this. However, in verses 15 to 17, Paul starts his prayer. And he starts his prayer with this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is the first thing that Paul prays for. He prays that we would get to know God better. And Paul knows exactly what we are exploring today, exactly what we are doing, because without that knowledge, we will not make much progress. And he wants the believer to take this seriously. 
So let me end by wishing everyone a productive and exciting 2024. I don't think you will see me at the gym because that is not one of my New Year's resolutions. Though going for long walks is certainly on the cards. But whatever our plans and intentions, let us make knowing God better and loving him more the first resolution and most important resolution in 2024. Amen.